I'm Maserati E. And I'm Chris Redlitz. Welcome to The Last Mile Radio. We're paving the road to success. No lie. I've been on a mission for a while. Finally, I see the last mile. I've been on a mission for a while. Finally, I see the last mile. Hey, paving the road to success. I'm paving the road to be my best. I'm paving the road to success. Yo, E. Chris, what up? What up? What's poppin'? Well, today we have a packed and inspiring show. Oh, and, yes, we do. <laughs> and it has what you love to say, full of jewels. Oh, most definitely full of jewels. And I have to say, man, we have a conversation that is going to be inspiring and motivating from who I call the coolest dude in the world. My boy, Sebastian Terry, is going down. And he'll give us a quick lesson on achieving your goals. And he's taking the idea of creating your to-do list to a whole nother level. Yeah, he is. A whole nother level. It's a really, really cool story. Love Seb Terry. We'll talk about how we connected, which is one of those serendipitous moments as well. But first, we're going to dive into some of the issues and challenges in our criminal justice system and talk about a fresh approach to addressing mass incarceration, recidivism, and why we can't continue this one-size-fits-all approach to addressing the criminal justice system from someone who has deep, deep domain expertise. Yeah, these two deep and thoughtful conversations from two dudes who are actually breaking the mold, like literally breaking the mold. They are change agents and change agents can come from so many different walks of life and so many parts of the globe, like literally all around the world. We everywhere with it. But like it, so sometimes, you know, you can get some game and pick up these jewels in unexpected places. Prime example, I soaked up a lot of game from behind the walls of prison, like literally on level three prison yards and stuff, running into so many people, but to name drop one, you know, like my boy, Jason Jones, our boy, you know, I didn't soaked up a lot of game and I'm pretty sure like a lot of people wouldn't expect that level of growth to come from certain individuals from these kind of places. You know what I mean? A place like prison, for instance. However, you could grow anywhere if you want to. You know what I mean? And there's good people everywhere, for sure, for sure. So I say that to say this only heightens my excitement to pick up some more game from somewhere else. You know what I mean? A whole nother experience and create another bridge in this community of people. So I'm definitely excited to dive deep into this and curious to see what we will learn today. Cause you know, Chris, I'm a geek. I let it learn. <laughs> well, that's true. And this is a long line of guests that we've had who have brought some really interesting perspectives from politics and sports and entertainment business. And I don't think we're going to disappoint today. Oh yeah, definitely. And like you said, it is jam packed is going down so i'm super excited to dive into this let's get it we have nathan hockman with us today and we're going to talk about a little bit about criminal justice oh yeah a little bit about the issues that we have in our cities today Mm -hmm. and get his perspective um he has a very interesting background and experienced background as a an attorney in the private sector and in the public sector. So welcome to Last Mile Radio, Nathan. Great to be here. Thank you. So um, you have a, a real interesting background. You grew up in California, um, and I think you went to Beverly Hills High School. Is that right? Uh, I did. So uh, homegrown talent in L.A. Class of 81. And went to Stanford. Uh, went to Stanford. Went to Stanford for law school right. and uh, Brown University for undergrad. Right. So California home and grown. And um, now you're in L.A., and um, you've really recognized the issues that we have, especially recently, about increased crime, criminal justice reform. Um, You did recently run for attorney general in in California um, as a Republican, which is a difficult task to do. But you have some really interesting perspectives on how to deal with some of the current issues that we have. So can we get into a little bit of that? And what was driving you to run for office at that point? Well, again, thank you so much for inviting me to the program. So you're right. I'm a lifelong Californian. I, I was born here, grew up here, schooled here, married here, now 30 years, have three children, and I raised them all here. And unlike a lot of Californians who've decided to leave the state, 
I decide to stay. And you know, I love California, and you want to fight for what you love. Sure, definitely. But I, but I look around the criminal justice system, particularly in L.A. County, and it's going in the wrong direction. And by that, I mean that we don't need to go back to the policies of mass incarceration, those blanket policies where you're trying to put everybody in jail for 100 years. Right. But now we're on the other end of the pendulum swing, where we're into the, you know, the, the idea of decarceration or no carceration. And what I believe is something called the hard middle. And the hard middle is basically a calibration between who are the true public safety threats that need to be behind bars and who aren't. You know, you're a first-time nonviolent offender who could better serve his debt or better pay his or her debt to society by going ahead and uh, getting into a diversion program, dealing with some of their issues, uh, doing home home detention, community service. Right. They don't. You don't need to pay eighty-eight thousand dollars for them to sit in a jail. It's 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 a waste. But you need someone who can actually do that calibration. And I've been fortunate in my career to have sort of a 360 view of the criminal justice system. I started as a federal prosecutor, did that for seven years, personally prosecuted 100 different cases from narcotics traffickers and gang members to uh, international money launderers, tax evaders, and went after dirty sheriffs. Then I had a chance to be uh, appointed by the president, unanimously confirmed by the U.S. Senate as an assistant attorney general back in Washington, D.C.'s Department of Justice, ran the tax division and was in charge of 350 lawyers going after basically tax criminals all over the United States. Oh, wow. But then I've had 20 years as a defense attorney. And when you put on the other hat, it really gives you the perspective that the government is not always right. Right. Mm. That very often they are overreaching. Very often they're keeping evidence from defense attorneys to do their job. Very often you've got someone who's been charged but erroneously so. And the job of a defense attorney is to keep the system in check to make sure everybody's constitutional rights are being you know, respected. So I've been on both sides of the aisle. I've even been a judge's clerk and the president of the L.A. City Ethics Commission. So I have an idea of where that calibration, that hard middle is. And what people forget about it is that it's only half the equation. And quite candidly, that's where the last mile comes in for the other half of the equation. Because if someone ends up, you know, unfortunately going to prison or jail, if they get no skill set while they're there and then they come out. And I've had clients that are in that exact situation. And literally, they don't have much education. They don't have many skills. They come out. It's incredibly difficult as a convicted felon to get a job. Very few people want to hire you. So what do you have left? You have in in our state a recidivism rate that's at 50%. Hmm. It's, It's... it's a, one of the greatest shames of the criminal justice system is that they have a captive audience of people, many of, not all, but many of whom would like to break the cycle if they could just get the resources to do it. And when I heard about the Last Mile program, I was going, hallelujah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean to, to, to take advantage of you know, technology mm-hmm. and being able to teach people to code, it's one of the few jobs that you can almost guarantee is going to still be around for a long time. That's right. I mean, even AI can't replace <laughs> you know, a human being who actually has to go into your system and help fix it. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, it's fan- you know, this, the, the concept of the last mile is fantastic. And the fact that you took it from concept to actually practice and then scaled it. Because so often I, I deal with programs that are really good ideas. They're pilot projects. They get a little funding for a year or two. And then they kind of die off. The fact that you've been able to scale it and go from state to state, system to system, and actually prove that it works – it is it is an example. It should be sort of you know exhibit A. Anytime people are looking for a program to give prisoners a skill set, yeah. then help them get a job when they get out, so that they can break the cycle of recidivism. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean it's it's a good point about you know the ability to scale and the need. What we attribute that uh, success to this degree and to this point is the ability to cross the aisle. Right. That this is a bipartisan issue. I mean, we talked when you were running for attorney general, right? right? And we have supporters, Governor Holcomb in, in, in Indiana, Governor Stinn in Oklahoma. These are red states, huge supporters of what we're doing. And it's unfortunately one of the few issues that we're crossing the aisle on. 
right? A hundred percent. So as someone who's now in the political arena, how do we continue to evolve that so we can have more programs like the last mile? It's still not easy. When you go state to state, you have to still convince people that this is what they need to do. So it's interesting. You can the, the reason I think it's a bipartisan issue. I mean, I'm, right now I'm running for Los Angeles County District Attorney. I'm actually running in a nonpartisan race as an independent. But the same exact discussion that I've had that involves the last mile works actually equally well with Republicans, Democrats, and independents. It's one of my favorite issues to bring up on the campaign trail because you can get that agreement. Some people are into the issue because they just think it's the right thing to do. You know, for sort of human moral reasons, we, we have to make each person help them realize their potential. Some people are into it because of economic reasons. And they say, look, I would just assume not have to pay $88,000 to have this guy or this woman go back to prison. And instead, if they can become a productive citizen, they could actually help contribute to the tax base. Right, exactly. <laughs> and so the economic argument works. The moral kind of human argument works. I've seen the religious argument works. Everybody has the, you know, the spark of God in them. Yeah. And that if you can help people realize that spark, I've seen the, the religious argument work. So the arguments against it, uh, the only argument ever against a program like this is that it can't succeed. It just can't scale up. And very, I'm sure when you just started the program, there was you know, the doubters out there saying that you know, prisoners can't code. It's too, it's too hard to teach them the coding. It's hard, too hard to get into the jails. You know, and you'll never get the support of the system because it's just too hard. But somehow you broke through that. That's where my hat, you know, tip of the hat to you, because you had to convince the first people, and those are the hardest people to convince, to get into the system and say, look, uh, you know, jails or prisons can actually make this happen. We have the technology to make it work. And sure enough, the prisoners, the people there are going to want to do it. Yep. And when I've heard some of your statistics and you're, you know, the, the fact that your recidivism level is like 1%. 0%. Than, less than 1%. Less yeah. than 1%. <laughs> Again, apparently there was one person out there <laughs> that broke the 100% That's of right. perfect perfection. 10 years zero, though. Ten years. Ten zero. years zero. Yeah. I mean, that's that's amazing. When you, yeah. when you can go from fifty percent, you know, as the average to basically less than one or zero percent. Yeah, it shows that the people who enter your program and complete it are motivated to change their lives. Definitely. And I've seen that. It's funny. I saw that most, mostly on the defense side than the prosecution side, because very often a prosecutor gets a case. You know, someone's committed a crime. You prove it. You put them in jail. Your job is done. Right. Defense attorney, very often your job just starts at that point. Because right. now you're trying to help the person get through the system, get through prison, and hopefully never come back. You know, there's nothing more enjoyable than not having a repeat client. Definitely. So I, I'm curious to know, right, because you, you've you had a unique experience to be able to see things in a more macro spec, right? You've been able to be on both sides. So with that knowledge, which ways were you able to, like, make an impact in this system? Because I'm a firm believer, right? A lot of times we see shifts, like cultural shifts, based on results. So what those results do usually is, for one, alters the way we think of what's possible, but two, it also, like— it illuminates the potential of how far things can go, right? So I'm curious to know, like, with this, with this new information that you have from experience, like, what impacts have been made now? Like, what, what, what have those results looked like? A great question. And I think what happens is that people, the people who pay attention mostly to where the line is drawn in society as to if you cross that line, there are consequences— are criminals, potential criminals. Because the goal of the system is to have someone think, like, maybe I should do that crime, but no, nah, the consequences are too severe to myself, to my family, and I'm just not going to do it. Now, often if someone has serious mental illness or they have substance abuse addiction problems that can overcome right. you know, your, your good sense, and when society has to deal with people and help treat those problems. But for everybody else, it's a cost-benefit analysis. And I have found that if the rules are fair, just, and consistently enforced, so, so someone knows exactly where the line is, and they know if they cross it, they are now, you know, consequences will happen, that people in general will stay on the other side of the line. And then if they do cross the line, again, I'm a big believer that people aren't perfect. 
You know, people will make mistakes in life very often in the, in the younger part of their lives, uh, you know, but even in, later in life. And the question is, you know, it's like you, you always hear in, in athletics, you know, the, the, the issue is not are you going to get punched and, and knocked down, it's are you going to get back up? And to the extent that there are programs like The Last Mile and similar programs that basically say, look, we're going to give you that chance. You made a mistake. You're going to pay your debt to society. But now we're going to actually give you some tools so you never have to go back to the situation and make the wrong decision. And that, to me, is, is sort of to the extent I've had a chance to see both sides, to see people, a lot of people, make that mistake, pay their debt to society, but then completely reform themselves. One of my favorite examples was a tax case. You know, the gentleman didn't pay his taxes for a very long time, got caught, went to jail. But in, in the process, he had never, ever given to charity, ever, his whole life. And what I told him is I said, you know what? It'd be interesting if you started to begin a, a more charitable path in life. And he said to me, well, what charity? I said, what, what motivates you? He said, well, I had a son with juvenile diabetes, and I'd like to help out juvenile diabetes. Well, this particular individual is very successful and became even more successful after he got out of jail. And he has two buildings named after him because he's given tens of millions of dollars to juvenile diabetes and really changed people's lives. And if the system hadn't given him a second chance, who knows how many people would not have been helped because he woke up realized that he had the potential to do good in this world rather than just, you know, cause problems. And he realized that potential. And that's hopefully what you guys will have an alumni yep. of last milers. Is that what we call them? <laughs> uh, last milers. Yeah. Last milers. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, who will go out there mm-hmm. and, you know, and start really changing society. I mean, wouldn't it be incredible if, if one of these people actually had some, some idea, start, did a startup, and really brought some some level of uh, technological breakthroughs to our society or access. I think you've been in some of our planning meetings. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, w- it would not surprise me because I am a true believer. You, you asked me what I've learned in the sort of, you know, 40 years or 35 years I've been doing this, is that there really is this unexpected potential that people have. Yeah. And very often they get in their own way. Uh, and, and if you can just get them pointed in the right direction and then give them the tools to do it, great things can happen. So I, I want to kind of backtrack a little bit, right? Because, like, I, we were, we're real big on, like, stories of transformation. So can you kind of take me back to that moment where, like— you started. You began to reshape your overall perspective. Like you said, like you learned very quickly that the government doesn't always get it right. You know what I mean? So what, did, what exactly did that look like? When was that aha moment for you? So probably my aha moment, well, interestingly, my father was a federal prosecutor in the 1950s. And then he was a defense attorney for 40 years. Hmm. Uh, and so I grew up at a kitchen table even before I became a prosecutor where my dad was railing at the government hmm. about how unfair this was, how he, his client was being railroaded, how the, you know, the fix was in. So this was early on. This was, you know, I'm like, you know, ages 5 to 15. Oh, okay. And I got a brother and two sisters, and they're hearing the same stuff. Uh, and so I, I you know, even though he was a federal prosecutor, you know, he, he was defending people against the might of the government, mostly the federal government, uh, and he he conveyed to us that the system was not fair, mm-hmm. but he was extremely good at his job, and he would push back mightily. Were you able to see that back then, like like certain examples of how it wasn't fair? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was very fortunate. I, I got to go to one of his cases mm-hmm. and watch him in trial. Oh wow, mm. that's deep. You know, and he was uh, yeah he was defending a guy, and the government was just going after him. And yeah, my dad was just, you know, he was just pushing back. Every time the government, you know, tried to attack, he'd wait, wait a beat, and he just was, he had, a, he had the better law, he had the better evidence. He would cross-examine the government agent, and the agent would eventually just stammer and, 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 you know, and, and concede that he had made a mistake over and over again. And I'm watching that. I'm watching, like, you know, it was, it was fascinating for me as a young person to see— that in, in some countries, if the government says you're guilty, you're guilty. Definitely. In China, it, the trials last about an hour. Yeah, in right. Russia, about a half an hour. Oh, wow. I mean, we just saw that with Brittany Griner. Yeah. 
I mean, her trial lasted, you know, half a day. And she was found guilty, and she was sentenced. She would have been sentenced for a long time and very hard. I think it was like conditions. 16 years, some crazy. Yeah. Crazy. And what's great about America, America is not perfect. Yeah. But what's great about our system, and my, I watched it as a, a young kid, is that my dad was able to cross examine someone with a badge and a gun. That's you know, who could have put him in jail. Any other system, if you go ahead and you start accusing someone of lying, a government agent, They'll put you in jail. Right. And throw away the key. Right. But there he was going after this agent, and the agent was wrong. And the agent eventually got the agent to admit it. And, you know, there's the old adage that, you know, one, 10 guilty people should go free rather than one innocent person go to jail. And you either believe that or you don't. Right. I believe that our system is built, built on an adversary system, that it, it generally gets it right, but not all the time. And it's it, and it's only as good as the people in it. And I so, agree with that 100%. Definitely. It's only as good as the people in it, for sure. And you're listening to The Last Mile Radio right here on SiriusXM. We chopping it up with Nathan Hockman. It's going down. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that as well. Like, there, there is a common thread amongst prosecutors. And prosecutors, a lot of people don't realize, have a lot of power. Um. And there are many cases where you're looking to get numbers, not the right outcome necessarily. How do you feel about someone who was on the prosecution end of that? How true is that from your perspective? So, I mean, I, I, it's not everyone, but it, there are definitely examples of people like that or supervisors like that who count the number of arrests, the number of convictions, the amount of years of, of jail and view that as the proper metric rather than you're actually stopping crime and, you know, getting people appropriately punished. You know, when the, when the mandatory minimum drug sentences came out in the early uh, yeah. 90s, yeah. you know, five grams, five grams of rock cocaine was considered the same as 50 grams of white powder cocaine right. and could get you a 10-year mandatory minimum. Right. And you would serve eight and a half of those years. It was crazy. Yeah. You know, and I was a prosecutor back then, and I remember— you know, there were, there were cases where you do your job, you know, you're given the case, the judge gets the case. He says, even the judge says, look, I can't do anything to lower the sentence. Congress has set forward the sentence. And you're looking at it and you're going, I hope someone changes this. And eventually they did. But, you know, it's, it's one, it's, it, again, it's part of the pendulum swing. I mean, ironically, the 1994 crime bill that set all this stuff up was supported by the Black Congressional Caucus. It was supported by President Biden, who was the head of the Judiciary Committee in the Senate at the time. You know, and they were dealing with a crack epidemic that was, that was destroying cities, especially the inner cities, in the late 80s and early 90s. So then the pendulum swung in the other direction, which is, okay, we're going to try to incarcerate our way out of this problem. It took, you know, 10 or 20 years to realize that wasn't going to work. Right. Um, and again, they were incarcerating people and not giving them a skill set. Right. <laughs> so even when those people got out on sentences that were way too long, they still had no skills. Right. It was only exacerbating the things that already developed. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, it was CDC, and then it became CDCR. And for many years, the joke was the R was silent. Right. You're right. starting to hear it a little more. Now you're you starting need to, to hear, hear, that, hear the R just to, a little more. We're trying to make that. <laughs> but um, it definitely was silent for quite some time. Yeah. So one of the questions that we like to ask as, as we sort of take it out, and you're going to be a position or you are in a position to, to sort of help create change. There are many things in the criminal justice system that need to change. But if there's one particular thing that really sticks out for you, what would that be? So, again, I divide it in, in two, two phases. You know, there's sort of the, the, the system up to the point that you get sentenced and then the system after sentencing. After sentencing is basically what we've been talking about today, yeah. creating uh, programs that give prisoners skill sets and then helping them get that first job when they get out so that we break the cycle of recidivism for any of the reasons you like or all of them. You know, moral, <laughs> religious, economic, they all work for me. Uh, on the other side, it's figuring out a better balance of what we need to do to deter criminal activity. 
I mean, I've I've spoken recently in Los Angeles County to small shopkeepers. These are the people, they're they're not the CVSs, they're not the Walgreens, they don't have, they're not a big public company. They own one store. Mom and pop shops. Some mom and pop shops. And they've been watching people come in their shops, just going up and taking, you know, a whole bunch of stuff. Coca-Colas, potato chips, you know, uh, whatever basically is not behind a locked cabinet. Right. And then not even running out, just walking out. And when they say, are you going to pay, there's no answer. And, and then they think to themselves, I can't even call the police hmm. because the police aren't even answering the call because the prosecutor has basically said up front, we're never going to prosecute these cases. That's wrong. Yeah, again, you don't need to put these people in federal prison or state prison. You don't even need to put them in a county jail, but they have to be held accountable. And if they're doing it over and over and over again, again, you then create a situation where the shopkeeper might take justice into their own hands when they don't trust the justice system. And I tell people, I tell young people this, is that our justice system is based on trust. Yet you, if you're a victim, you don't need to pick up a gun and shoot the person yourself. You can call 911, get the police out there, and have the police do their job so you don't have to go ahead and shoot them. Because guess what? You know, I'm not looking to go back to the Wild West. Or, or the you know the times in American history, or actually you know a human history, where you you steal from me, I sh- I shoot you, then you shoot someone in my family, then my family shoots someone in your family, and we're not that far away ever right. from that sense of anarchy, panic, and sort of street justice. And the only thing that stops that is a trust that the system is going to be consistent, fair, and just. Yeah. Yeah, you call 911, someone will respond. They're not going to go shoot your neighbor, (laughs) but they might arrest them if they committed a crime. And if they did a a crime that's bad enough, they might go to jail for it. So you don't have to go ahead and shoot them yourself. And so that finding that balance, because we're, again, our balance is off right now. The pendulum has swung way too far. We need to find that hard middle again that proper calibration, and the, to the extent that I get a chance to become the L.A. You know, district attorney or, for that matter, any public position, that's what I'd be advocating for all public officials. And by the way, the reason I keep calling it the hard middle, it's hard. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it requires experience. I, I definitely agree in the sense of we can see a difference if we can get to a point to gain that trust. The, in my opinion, the system is so broken based on, you know, just the past events of history uh, up to current day. Um, unfortunately, like I know in my community, you know what I mean, that I grew up in, if we were to call the police, you liable to get shot by the police. You right. know what I mean? So it's a lot of distrust there. But if we can find common ground, if we can begin to remove these lines in the sands and create circles, I do agree wholeheartedly that then we'll be able to see a difference as a whole in society for sure. Yeah. Hundred percent, because I think that, especially when they started to remove police officers from actually being in communities, and they put them back in patrol cars, and all they were doing was patrolling around and not actually talking to people, huge mistake. Yeah, you know, the same thing with DAs and and, and prosecutors. They actually got to be in the community, talking, figuring out who's doing what, because the, each one of these communities. They, they want to survive. They want to thrive. Right. They want to just not have – they want their safety and security to be something that's taken for granted mm-hmm. as opposed like, – like it is in certain other communities. That's, right. how, you know, that, that's what they want. And the last thing they want is to have the police come in and be part of the problem. Right. Exactly. Definitely. Well, many, many conversations about this in the future. <laughs> definitely. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. But, but you definitely uh, – you made some really profound points. We really appreciate you coming in and sharing some of that with us, supporting us in our mission with The Last Mile. We really appreciate that, too. Absolutely. My pleasure. It's an expression giving a person their flowers, right? So a lot of times people, uh, you know, get their flowers on their grave or they get the credit at the funeral and things like that. So I want to give you your flowers while you can still smell it, man, on the rear for the work that you've been putting in, coming around full circle and then implementing that to make a change so definitely got to commend you for that and something I say all the time presence is priceless so thank you so much for blessing us with your presence man and being present today and dropping these jewels on us man seriously it's highly appreciated thank you very much you tuned in to the last mile radio on Sirius XM is going down we just got done chopping it up with Nathan Hockman so stay tuned and we'll be back with Sebastian Terry on the last mile radio on Sirius XM it's going down
are back. This is the Last Mile Radio on Sirius XM. And we here, I'm, I'm so excited to announce our next guest, So Serious. If you ask me, this is the coolest dude in the world. So Serious. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm so excited, man. We have Sebastian Terry, man. Welcome to the Last Mile Radio. Oh, thank you. I've never been called the coolest person in the world. <laughs> I'll take it. Thank you. Get used to it, man. You you are that cool. For well, real. It's like that old Des- Dos Equis commercial, right? <laughs> Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The most interesting man. <laughs> most I mean, I, man. I think you fall under most interested, most coolest, possibly most motivational, inspirational best. It's, it's a lot of most on your list right now for this, me. This is the greatest interaction <laughs> ever. Don't don't let that accent fool you, E. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that might be it. I think that's another thing that adds to the coolness, though. You know, it does. <laughs> I, yeah, I'll take anything I can get. So <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Well, 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 he he is, and it's it's interesting how we met. Also, um, yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah, so it's it shows sort of the power of social media mm-hmm. and the power of passion. Right? Definitely. So, um, I was watching Sports Center featured, and this was I think in 2016, and um, they they have these unique stories on Sports Center featured, and all of a sudden pops up this guy who has this really interesting journey and they chronicled some of what he did. But the thing that, um, that they focused on was him pushing this quadriplegic person in a half marathon. Mm. And that's sort of what tied in the whole sort of athletic piece to it. But it was a really compelling story that we'll talk a little bit more with Seb about, but I'm like, I gotta, I gotta meet this guy. Right. So I DM'd Seb, uh, Seb, and and we started a conversation. And I said, if you're ever in uh, California, we come over to the states because he was still in Australia. I'd love to take you in San Quentin to talk to the men at the last mile. I feel like everybody at some point in life got to take a trip to San Quentin. I think so. <laughs> it's pretty transformational. Yeah, that seems like yesterday. You did slide into my DMs, and uh, and I thought, <laughs> who is this cute guy? <laughs> uh, no, so, I, yeah, and we started chatting, and, yeah, you did. I, I happened to be doing a talk in San Francisco, and I think we caught up there for the very first time, and then not too long after, I ended up walking through this yard at San Quentin with everyone out there staring at me. I felt so intimidated because I didn't know anything at first. And Chris was just waltzing through, saying hello to everyone, telling me to relax. <laughs> and then, yeah, I, g- I gave, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be a keynote speaker. So I do a lot of that. But this was the first time I'd ever spoken in a prison, in a jail. And um, I spoke to these incredible individuals who were all going through your program the last mile. And I was just so inspired. Um, and it led to a lot of things, including a fantastic friendship. So it's really lovely to be here. And uh, yeah, thanks, Chris. That's so dope. That's so dope. Um, man, so you hit up San Quentin. What, what was that like, man? Like, how, how did that impact you? Like, was it anything surprising for you? Like, what really stood out? Like, what? Yeah, well, so I'm really curious in, in life, I think. And, you know, the, the thing that Chris had seen on, on ESPN, on the Sports Center feature, it, it kind of followed, as you said, it chronicled uh, this list of 100 things that I've got, mm-hmm. uh, like a bucket list. And, after losing a friend, I realized I was really unhappy and I put this list together that I hoped would bring me closer to a sense of happiness or purpose. And on that list was basically things that took me out of my comfort zone. Um, and, you know, I'm still on that that journey today. And it's been incredible. Number 12 on there was actually to visit an inmate on death row. And I, and I did that in Oklahoma. Um, I met up with this guy called J-Lock and the whole experience was phenomenal just because it was, you know, it was an interaction with someone I would never have a chat with. And so then going to San Quentin after was just doubling down on that, speaking to a room full of people about, because I was actually quite nervous and, and I wasn't sure how it would come across because I speak about the, you know, passion in life and integrating passion into our goals, personally and professionally, et cetera. And I thought, well, how do I relate this to a, a, a bunch of guys who are, you know, confined within a, a prison? Right. And um, so I got to this point where I, you know, as I do with all these talks, and I say, hey, what's on your list? Share some goals with me. And it was incredible because every single hand in the room shot up. I don't know if you remember this, Chris. I do. Yeah. yeah. And usually when I talk to a corporate audience, you know, to a bank or, a, you know, whoever it might be, no one really puts their hands up. One or two do. 
But in this room in, in San Quentin, everyone put their hands up and we kind of paused the talk and went through everybody. And I remember some of the goals. Uh, I remember there was, uh, I can't remember his name, the, the guy who wanted to do a marathon. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this guy with no hair stood up and said, um, <laughs> I want to, he said, I want to do a marathon. I said, oh, that's great. Uh, and he said, I'm going to do it in two weeks. And I assumed that he must have been getting out in two mm-hmm. weeks. And so I asked him, he said, no, 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 I'm just going to do something like 117 laps around the prison yard. It's actually 106, and they have an annual San Quentin Marathon. So you were there right yes. before the oh, San Quentin wow. Marathon. <laughs> and it just goes to show that, I mean, I, it's so important to think when you when we talk about goal setting, which maybe we will a little bit, it doesn't have to be world-changing. It can be, but it can just be really simple. And it doesn't matter where you are in life. The, the men in San Quentin who I met proved that you can do anything at any point that's going to be beneficial for yourself, you know? Did you find that that experience and talking to the men in San Quentin changed how you presented to other groups at all? Or did you reference that in some of your talks as I well? reference it now, yeah. In fact, when I, when I ask people, you know, in these, in these sort of corporate audiences, what's on your list – uh, and on the, on the talks, which are more conversational, I'll mention, well, you know, three of you have put your hand up in here today. I once gave a talk in San Quentin and every single hand went up. Why is that? What's the difference between you and those hmm. people? And the answer is nothing other than perspective and, and yeah. attitude. You didn't really start out intentionally to help people accomplish their goals. No. But what happened was people said, would you help me? Just like you did with Mark, who you you pushed in the wheelchair. Yeah, it was it was all an accident. I, I, after I lost my friend, I realized I was unhappy. I put this list together selfishly. I just wanted to do my own things, and so I started checking off things from my my, my list. And like you say, it just it it organically resonated with with people. Uh, I was I was suddenly asked to go on like breakfast television shows wherever I was: America, Canada, Australia, Geneva. And I didn't know why. And then I started getting emails from people saying, hey, we've heard your story. If you can do your goals, I could do my goals. And I would respond, of course, yes. Um, Then I'd get asked questions. How do I start my list? I've got a goal, but I'm not sure how to tackle it. Um, I'm looking for inspiration. I don't have supportive people around me. So I started seeing an opportunity to just help people. And then, you know, fast forward a few years. And suddenly I found myself uh, getting an email from Mark, who was a, a gentleman, now a friend, but at the time a stranger in Melbourne, Australia, who had Lyme's disease. He was completely able-bodied. He went backpacking in his mid-20s through Europe, got bitten by a tick and contracted Lyme's disease. And that turned him into a quadriplegic. Hmm. It's, oh, wow. it's so tragic, so sad. Uh, and then he, he saw me give an interview on TV in Australia and he asked me if I would help him shave his head. It was number one on his list. He put, he put a list together. Number one was shave his head. So I, I went down to Melbourne, shaved his head, got to know him. His carers were telling me his story because he can't speak. He can't speak. He can't move a muscle in his body. Mm. It, it's horrible. Um, and his carer told me that he wanted to also run a half marathon. And I said, well, how, how can I help? And he looked at me and he tried to say something, which is very hard to understand, Mark. But he said, push me. And I understood it. And I just knew what I wanted to do immediately. So I signed us up for the Melbourne half marathon, went home to Sydney where I was living at the time, trained for a few months, went back down to Melbourne and, and pushed him. Wow. And it was the, the I mean, I, I really think it was the, the greatest thing I've ever done. Hmm. It really was. And, and, and this is an interesting point. So they, you know, they, made a, they basically made a, an ESPN feature that went on to get you know, 20, 30 million views because of that. And it's so interesting, this idea of connecting and helping people. That's the powerful part. Definitely. Who cares if I go and like jump out of a plane naked or do an iron? I mean, it's cool for me, but when you start telling and sharing stories of connecting people, exactly like the last mile does, exactly how everyone is when they come outside, there's a community of people, that's where the magic lies. And I should also point out, because that story gets a lot of airtime, me pushing people, or me pushing Mark in his chair, it's actually not a, a story of, of charity. It, it's, a, it's, it's, it's more a result of goal setting within a like-minded community. Right. Mark wanted to complete a marathon. On my list, number 26 was to help a stranger. And because we both shared that goal within a like-minded community, we saw there was this opportunity for collaboration. And that's why it's important to share goals and uh, ensure that you're building a culture and a community around you who are doing the same things. Absolutely. I agree a thousand percent. 
And you're listening to our conversation with Sebastian Terry on the Last Mile Radio on Sirius XM. It's going down. It's getting deep. It's getting deep. Man. So you, you, you've helped a lot of people. What, I, I, I'm curious, what, what, what is your why, man? Like, what, what really, what, what fulfillment do you get from this? Because we, we, we talked um, with Scott Budnick not too long ago. And one thing that he brought up, you know what I mean, is it's, it's not just selfless acts. Like, he gets fulfillment from it, too. So I'm pretty sure that's something you could relate to. Like, how does that resonate with you? Yeah, for sure. I think ultimately we all just want to feel good, you know, and, and, and the way we each do it is, is different. But typically I think you need to be doing things for yourself selfishly. And I think if you're selfish, you're able to, in a healthy way, you're able to then be selfless. So I think, you know, the, the idea of goal setting in and around things that are important for you, as well as helping others achieve the same is, is, is crucial. So why do I help other people? I love it. it makes me feel good. It helps. It's a win-win. I, I feel good. They feel good. Um, and you know, the, it, it's in, it, it's passion filled. There's a ripple effect. Other people see it, you know, ESPN promoted it and suddenly everyone wants to, you know, to help other people. So a question to you just about, you know, individuals, re, you know, resonating with individuals. And you said when you go into corporations, people are really, um, sort of reticent to be vulnerable. Mm. How do you think that that can sort of evolve? Because you do so many of these talks with corporations. Mm. Is it just they're checking the box right now or are they really sort of legitimately trying to open up and create more uh, conversation, you know, sort of internally? Yeah, well, I mean, the, 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 the capacity in which I speak is usually, you know, at a conference, a multi-day conference, whether it's an association or a specific individual, uh, you know, individual organization. And I will typically do like a, an opening keynote. So I'll, I'll start the whole conference off with a bang or I'll close it out with a bang. And so everyone There's going to be a bang. There's a bang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so, you know, I, I think to some degree they need speakers to go in there. And so let's just fill the spot with somebody. But uh, I mean, that's kind of thinking about it with a negative light. I, I would much rather see that, you know, really these organizations are actually looking to inspire their individuals. They're finding now that, you know, mental wellness is such a an issue post-pandemic or during and post-pandemic and you know these, these these employees these individuals who don't have mental wellness or good balance in their life aren't performing in the workplace as well they're, they're disengaged they're unmotivated they're not feeling particularly connected to their work I think there's a stat actually that says 85% of the global workforce last year 2022 were disengaged with their work and their colleagues which mm. is which is awful and they don't feel that they have passion in, in their job so they bring people like me in to try and instill that with them. So I've got this particular story, which is sure it's entertaining and it's funny, but it speaks volumes to this idea of finding purpose in life and leveraging passion as the epicenter for wellness, performance, building healthy culture, et cetera. So, uh, and I, I, you know, I'm really proud to say that although on some occasions crowds at the beginning are maybe a little bit kind of at the back of their chair, just going, ah, oh, what's this guy talking about? By the end, people are talking. People are talking. And, and I think I normalize this idea that you can be doing anything. You know, that's, I, I, I guess I would never. I would never say, hey, I'm a motivational speaker and I'm going to change and transform you and your business. But I mean, that's kind of what I aspire to do. And I'm really proud to say that I, I do a good job of it. You know, we do these breakout yeah. sessions as well where we get people to go through an eight-step process, which allows them to identify what they're passionate about, important aspects of their lives, and layer on top goals that are going to make a change for them. Uh, and then we teach them how to action those. And so change and real-time progress happens within these sessions uh, and you see people kind of really melt into it um i'm trying to think of a, of a good example of i mean I, I you know occasionally occasionally if we do a q a i'll get this comment which means a lot to me someone will say hey um at the beginning of this session i was very skeptical and i just thought you were a self-indulgent you know blah 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 um, which, which hurts a little bit, but by the end they say it, but we've realized through your story and the way that you talk about this, that there's something really true to each and every person in this room. And I've changed because of it. Damn. And then I'm like, well, this worth it. Right. You know, and, and of course, so too is the client or the event meeting planner who's booked me. So no, I, I, to answer your question. Yes. At first, sometimes there's a little bit of, you know, people are timid by the end. They're not. And in that, I think there is a, a change. Absolutely, absolutely. Dropping them jewels. My boy said we cool like that, so I'm gonna call you. Seth. <laughs> <Of course. laughs> right here on the Last Mile Radio on Sirius XM, we chopping it up with Sebastian Terry. It's getting real. We getting soaking up this game, getting these jewels, man. And uh, one thing you touched up on earlier, bro, was like you know with the goals and everything. So 
I'm curious, like you, you use vehicles of transformation, right? Building unstoppable mindset, um, creating a win with a win-win culture, um, corporate wellness solution, things of that nature. How would one find motivation to create goals to use as a vehicle? Well, I use an eight-step process. I, I think the first oh. thing is is permission. You know, I think usually, you know, in life we we wait to be given permission to start thinking about ourselves. Um, you know, I'll ask a lot of people, you know, cold, hey, what do you want to do before you die? Or, mm. you know, or, or an equivalent of that question. And the most common answer I get is, oh, I've never really thought about that, which is which is astonishing, right? And, and I was that way too until something happened in my life. As people, we typically wait for a moment of adversity to su- suddenly consider something better. Right. Adversity, actually, it often gifts us with perspective. Right. I mean, I'm speaking to the last mile, people. I mean, <laughs> of course, right? Adversity gives us perspective. So step one is, is permission. I think it's really important at that point to reflect. Um, if I was to do a workshop, I'd get people to write their own eulogy um, to, mm. to acknowledge what they're doing well, what they're overlooking at this point, but really to leading on to step three, being able to identify the core aspects of their life. If, and it's different for everyone. There's a lot of, there's actually like 12 common uh, aspects mm-hmm. of which people have between six and eight. But if you're able to identify these six to eight, you know, love, impact, professional development, travel, creativity, adventure, whatever these things are, if you're able to acknowledge those, you can then layer on top goals at step four. And then, you know, you, you go through the actual, the action plan, which is step, step six, seven, eight, um, seven, six, what am I saying? Five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> but I, I won't bore you with that. But yeah, um, you got to give yourself permission. No, you don't have to wait for it in this life. You don't have to wait for a bad moment. That's deep. That's deep. Man, again with the jewels right here on the Last Mile Radio on Sirius XM. Chopping it up with my boy Sebastian Terry with my dog, man, the big dog. <laughs> so bringing it back and, and just to sort of close out again, we really appreciate you doing this and also everything that you do, how you inspire people. You've had some um, sort of taste of what it is to go into prison and what and and sort of the the challenges around incarceration. I know incarceration in Oz is different than it is in the U.S. But if there's one thing that you noticed in your journeys, you know, doing this along with the last mile. What would be a change that you would make that you observed inside sort of the incarcerated environment? Gosh, wow, what a question. I mean, I you know, I haven't spent that much time, but I would just just from my experience with with you in the last mile, I'd say that it's very clear that within the confines of these prison walls are people who are all thinkers, they are all dreamers, and they all have the capacity to really do something, not just for themselves, but as you're proving through your program for, for other people. So I think being able to create opportunity, showing by example what you can do, people like E, I mean, you know, all these people are inspiring. They're coming out and doing stuff, which is helping other people because they were given an opportunity. So I think, you know, it's the same on the inside as it is on the outside. Show the way. Lead by example, create an opportunity and, and, and allow some inclusivity so that people can go on their own journeys. I think that's probably the key to, you know, any community or culture or society. Yeah, let, let uh, allow people, create a framework to allow people to be the best version of themselves. I love that. Love that so much. I, I said uh, pretty frequently. People like myself and others that uh, have like a similar experience or same experience being formerly incarcerated. When you come out and do good, people assume like we're the exception when in actuality, we're the reflection of what happens when afforded those opportunities to shine. You know what I mean? So I agree with that a thousand percent for sure, for sure. And thank you for that, man. Thank you for dropping them jewels. So serious. And thank you for coming to pull up, bro. So serious, man. (laughs) Definitely. Coming to pull up on us, man. Blessing us with your presence. I said all the time, bro. Presence is priceless. So Thank you so much, man, coming to drop these jewels on us. And this is the Last Mile Radio on Sirius XM. We was just chopping it up with the incredible, the amazing, the most coolest dude in the world, according to me, for sure, for sure, Sebastian Terry, man. And we'll be back shortly on Sirius XM. Yes, yes, and we are back. We are back. This is the Last Mile Radio right here on Sirius XM. And it's going down. Chris, it's getting real. Those are some real jewels dropped in the show today. It's got, man, it's a lot of jewels. We got Sebastian yeah. Terry showing how to evaluate our lives and setting goals for us to achieve a new level of happiness and purpose. We got Nathan Hockman 
with some thoughtful approaches to criminal justice reform. And both are cool dudes from very different worlds. Yeah, they are. Seb never disappoints. This is another example, as I said in in the open, those serendipitous moments, they can lead to what I consider really extraordinary outcomes. And for us, a lasting, I consider lifelong friendship. Oh, yeah. He talked about going in San Quentin and uh, he had never been into prison before. And the way that the guys inside uh, really uh, you know, engage with him, participated. He said it was like no other experience that he'd had. So, you know, it was really great for for them to see someone like him inspire and inspire in a different way and and really allow them to be somewhat inter- introspective. Uh, so that was a great experience. And Nathan, wow, you know, wow. he's taking, <laughs> yeah, he's taking a, a whole different approach. Uh, with some really t- challenging issues that are that are facing us, you know, our criminal justice system, and not letting party lines define how we approach, you know, the s- systemic issues in the country today. Right. You know, he talked about the hard middle, and that was, you know, a term that we haven't heard a lot, but you know, it really relates to the criminal justice and, you know, how he's helping to redefine how we look at public safety and alternatives to prison uh, that are really more appropriate to how we can, you know, people can pay their debt to society and how we can reduce this astronomical cost of incarceration in America. Most definitely, definitely. I I, got to be honest, man. I I love his approach to a more individualized approach to dealing with the system. And as I say, that's helping us create circles and erasing these lines in the sand. I, I definitely agree with uh, finding that hard middle. Um, I think I think it, it's definitely too lopsided. Things are either, you know, with the disproportionate sentencing and it's not adding up or I hate to say it, sometimes it's just not enough. And that can become a trap. You know what I mean? I've seen that plenty of times um, where these dudes get a slap on the wrist and next thing you know, they right back in that revolving door because they think it's a game. You know what I mean? So it's like it, it, it's it's so difficult finding that hard middle. But I, I'm definitely with him and figuring it out for sure, because it's, it's definitely a lot of information there that we could utilize to find that hard middle for sure. And it's needed. I think we can definitely see a much better tomorrow in our system with that for sure. Yeah. And it's also we talk a lot about crossing party lines and and that, uh, you know, this is this criminal justice and mass incarceration is an issue that we really can come together on. And that's maybe where the hard middle is, that we can come together, create a more individualized approach and not a cookie cutter approach to how we're dealing with people and creates a a little more humanity in the system today. Right. Agree. Agree, man. Agree. For real. And and Chris, you know, we could talk about this for another hour. That's <laughs> for sure. Another couple hours, right? We could get deep in this for sure. But it's time to say goodbye for the day, man. And you know how we do it this time, bro. I gotta give you your flowers, Chris. I gotta give you your flowers, man. You always show up and show out, man. I appreciate it. And back at you. Most definitely. I'm gonna accept my flowers. And I also got to give you your flowers, you who tuned in with us. I say it all the time. Presence is priceless. So thank you for tuning in with us and soaking up this game. So serious. And we would love to hear from you. We would love to hear from you. So make sure you tap in with us at thelastmileradio.org. And you can hear this show or any show, anytime on the SXM app. Oh, yeah. I'm Maserati E. And I'm Chris Redlitz. And this is The Last Mile Radio on Sirius XM. No lie. I, I've been on a journey for a while. Finally, I see the last mile. I've been on a journey for a while. Finally, I see the last mile. I'm paving the road to success. Hey, I'm paving the road to the best. Wait, I'm paving the road to success. Hey, I'm paving the road to the best. Wait. No lie to the best ways To increase the success rate Define odds against us even when it's unexpected Changing the world by changing the way we view the world It's all perspective